Good job. Often when we think of the story of Zacchaeus, that's what we think about, right? We're going to your house today. Come down, Zacchaeus, you come down. But it's kind of a strange little story, isn't it? I mean, surely it's included in the Bible more than the fact that God knew we were gonna need a children's song someday that everybody could put actions to and and sing. Um, So as I've been thinking about it, I wanted to share some thoughts with you that I had about it. But let's put it in context. As he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and came and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they grumbled. He's gone to be in the, be, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, Zacchaeus didn't even declare that Jesus was the Son of God. He came and made reparation. So why is this such a great story? Well, let's, let's take a look at who Zacchaeus is. First of all, his name means the pure one or the righteous one. But he'd chosen the complete opposite for himself. He was hated in his community because he was a chief tax collector, which means he'd sold out to the Romans and he was collecting taxes um, for the Romans and he was taking a kickback and everybody knew it. He was getting rich off his countrymen. He was kind of like Bernie Madoff, except for there was no surprise. Everybody knew he was ripping them off and he was taking advantage of them. And they hated him for it. So they did what they did in those days and they excommunicated him from his community. And as a Jew, that was a pretty tough thing in those days. It meant he couldn't go to the synagogue He didn't have any friends. He could not participate in the festivals. And he he couldn't go to anybody's house for dinner. He was really alone. Because really, he didn't belong in the Jewish community, and he didn't really belong in the Roman community because they were using him to do their dirty work. But he'd chosen. You know, I don't know what it would be like to be an outcast like that in a community. But... I do have a story of being an outcast. When we first moved to Colorado when I was about seven, I was befriended at school by these little girls. I was in the second grade, and we were the it crowd. I was an it girl from second grade to sixth grade. There were six of us, Teresa, Lisa, Holly, Susie, Gail, me. I still remember. Um, And it was awesome. Birthday parties, little roller skate dates, talking on the telephone. And then I don't really know what happened to this day. I don't know what happened, but about halfway through my sixth grade year, they got together and they voted me out. And then 
No more parties, no more phone calls. But even the kids who weren't in the it crowd didn't want to be seen with me because I wasn't in the it crowd anymore. And I had no one. And that continued all the way through middle school because then that followed me, so I was on the outside. So I thought, uh, high school can be my saving grace because I had a choice and everybody in that crowd was going to one high school and I chose the other one. What I didn't think about was that by the time everybody got to high school, they already had their crowd. They'd all gone through school together and I was still on the outside. And that partly it was okay because nobody was purposely mean to me, but you know, nobody can make you feel like an outcast better than adolescents. <laughs> so I knew when I read that, I was like, oh, that would be pretty awful. And for Zacchaeus, it wasn't just him, it was everybody in his home, his wife, his children, everybody would have been tre treated the same. So the next thing we know about Zacchaeus is that he was small of stature. In the song, it says he was a wee little man. And what does that mean? You know, I remember growing up hearing this story when I was in Sunday school, and they'd get out the flannel graph, and Zacchaeus looked a little bit like the Keebler elf. You know, and they'd bring the Keebler elf out, and then they'd shimmy him up the tree. You know, in some of the commentaries I read, they actually had Zacchaeus as a dwarf and estimated him to be four foot eight. And I'm like, gosh, where did you get that? Um, I don't know. But I think part of the reason Zacchaeus was described as small of stature wasn't just because he was little on the outside, which I think he was. I think Zacchaeus was little on the inside too. I think when you are an outcast in your, in your society, looking at those kind of glances every day, or not even being looked at every day, makes you feel pretty small inside. You're pretty black and blue. Because the message is clear. You are worth nothing. You're not even worth looking at. You are disgusting, you are despicable, I hate you, I despise you. And that's what he met with every day. And, and what's really sad is, at some place I think inside of himself, he knew it. He knew it. So then he hears that Jesus is passing through. And he must have heard rumors. Now Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. This story comes right before Jesus goes to Jerusalem to die. And all along his journey, he's been reaching out, out to the outcasts, to the harlots, to the, the broken, but also he's been healing people. This, the story of blind Bartimaeus is right in here where he's actually been curing folks. And curing, there's a couple of distinctions that you can make between curing and healing. And curing is something that kind of happens on the outside. It means to kind of remove from disease or disability. And healing has a nuance to it that it's about being healed on the inside, about bringing wholeness and peace and well-being to people, restoring them. And Jesus was doing both of these things along the way. Now in scripture, all through this part, Luke makes some pretty interesting distinctions. He says sinners, which are all the kind of people I just described, the prostitutes and the liars and all of those folks, and tax collectors. So apparently tax collectors was a special class of sinner in their mind. And because Zacchaeus had risen to the top of his profession, he was a special kind of sinner in their mind. 
viewed as unredeemable. He'd been judged by his own people. So maybe Zacchaeus is going, I wanna see this Jesus. Maybe there's a hope for me. Maybe he'd have a word for me. And he braves the crowds. Now the crowd is thinking, this is awesome because now he's on our turf. You know, as, as a person with rank and stature, he wouldn't have been seen out among the locals very much. He had other people he could send to do that. And frankly, I wouldn't want to be out with them. But here he was. And it's their opportunity to take a shot at him. Physically. So here's the wee little man trying to see Jesus and he's getting an elbow and he's getting a kick and they're, they're making it impossible to, for him to see him. And he's getting black and blue. He physically would have just kind of gotten beat up all through the day of being out in the crowd. So he throws down his dignity because men in those days did not run and they certainly did not climb trees. And if they did, it wouldn't have been thought of as very cool. It would have, it would have cemented in everybody's mind what a loser he was. And he hikes up his clothes and he runs on ahead to the sycamore tree and he climbs up the tree. Now interestingly enough, when I was in Israel, my tour guide shared with me that the sycamore tree in Israel is known as the tree of redemption. So he climbs up the tree of redemption. The pure one, the righteous one, climbs up the tree of redemption. It's a picture of something I think that's coming. But that isn't Zacchaeus' day, not this day. And, and he's waiting for Jesus to pass him by, and he does. And what happens when Jesus passes by? He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. Have you ever been seen? To have somebody actually look at you and see you? See all of you, not just the parts they didn't like or the parts they did like, but saw all of you? And it begins to change Zacchaeus. It begins to heal him because can you imagine what that would have been like after having nobody see you? And we don't know how long he'd been an outcast, how long he'd been lost. And he was being seen. And it begins to move him towards Jesus. It draws him to him. Lloyd Douglas, who is an old minister, um, I read about him in some of my studies, when he talked about this, he had that exchange go something like this, heart to heart. Zacchaeus said the carpenter, what did you see that made you desire this peace? Good master, I saw mirrored in your eyes the Zacchaeus I was meant to be. In that moment, Jesus saw Zacchaeus, not as he was, not as the choices he made, but as God had created him to be, as who he would become, and in being seen, Zacchaeus began to be healed. Now on the outside, as a symbol of that, Jesus did more than just use words. He really stepped up to the plate. He said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house. I'm gonna have lunch with you. Zacchaeus was all over that, because nobody had been to his house. But as this began to happen, and begin to heal Zacchaeus standing in the community because Jesus as an Orthodox Jew would have been saying, this guy is okay. You can enter back into relationship with him again. 
And Zacchaeus welcomed that. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting in our culture is that we don't go to each other's houses a lot where you would just kind of roll up to the front door and knock on the door and say, hi, I'm here, and somebody would be really glad to see you. <laughs> They'd say, did we, have a, did we set this up? Um, not really. And we go, oh, this is a boundary buster. But you know, I think sometimes we miss out on something that Jesus would have to offer us because we have a boundary. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I've got that, I'm doing laundry, I've got all my dirty laundry out in my family room. I haven't gone to the grocery store, I don't have anything to offer you. And we keep ourselves separate. But Zacchaeus didn't do that, he didn't care. He welcomed that in. And he responded with joy, but nobody else did. The crowd grumbled. They were upset. Jesus is going to go to be with this loser. He doesn't deserve this. And isn't it interesting how often we're like that? I mean, I, I think about somebody like Bernie Madoff, and if we knew Jesus was going to have lunch with him, you know, sometimes we're in that place that we hate grace and mercy. We want justice. We want somebody to be, it's like, you know, I'm sure the crowd was thinking as Jesus is strolling up and sees this fool up in the tree, they're going, this is going to be awesome, watch this. He's going to take care of this. He's going to nail this guy to the wall. We want justice. And then Jesus does the exact opposite. He says, come down, come be with me. And, and in this moment, in this exchange where Jesus steps up and he actually does something, he makes a public show Zacchaeus does something that I call wackadad. Words are cheap and deeds are dear. Wackadad. Zacchaeus shows the authenticity of, of his repentance, of his belief, in saying, I'm going to make it right. I am, I'm going to make it right out here in ways that you can touch. I'm going to give half of my stuff away. And if I've cheated you, I'm going to make it right Four times what I did. Four times what I stole. And I wonder how often we're really very good at doing that. That we exhibit on the outside, that our private lives reflect our public life about what, what is really going on. That we step up and are hospitable, that we see each other. So we're kind of on both sides of the story. I think we all have a Zacchaeus story. Do you remember when Jesus first saw you? Or do you remember those people in your life that when you were an outcast, like I was, I remember different teachers, Sunday school, regular teachers, different people who stepped in my life and saw me, and they said, I know they're saying that about you, but that's not true about you. This is who you are. And they held up a mirror to me. They said, this is who you are. And it was those mirrors that got me through, that changed me and kept me believing in who I was. But when Jesus comes in us, we also have that opportunity to be a mirror, to look and to see other people, and to love one another. And that's the only sign and symbol that Jesus offered That, we were, that he was real in us. He said, you will know my disciples by the way they love one another. 
It begins to change the world. Brennan Manning tells a story about a student that he once had when he was at um, the university, a university in Ohio in the 60s. It's in the midst of the hippie movement and this guy was embodied everything that that meant. But he embodied some other things because he was by the day standard ugly. He was homely, he was obese, and he was doing the full hippie thing. He wore dirty t-shirts, torn jeans, no shoes. His hair was a mess. And to top it off, he had a hair lip. And he came and he, he said to Brennan, well, you're new here. You don't know me yet, but you will. You'll hear about me. So here I am. And I'm an agnostic. I don't even believe in your God. And Brennan said, well, wow, that's, that's something. Well, why don't you come meet with me? So they began to meet a little bit. But he wasn't getting much, and you know, he said, Larry was dateless. There wasn't a girl on campus who even glanced his way. None of the fraternities wanted him. He always kind of sat in the back of the class and coasted through. And then Christmas came around, and Larry went home for Christmas. Now, Larry was Irish, and his family came from what they call lace Irish, lace curtain Irish. And they were kind of the more dignified, moneyed, group. His dad, even at home, never came to the dinner table without a starched white shirt, tie, linen set. So here are these two men, father and son, sitting at the table. The straight-laced dad, the son that was not. And they had their usual arguments and reconciliations and tolerating each other. And then Larry was home for a few days and finally one night he said, Dad, I got to go back to school tomorrow. And his dad said, okay, I'll ride the bus with you to the place that you have to change buses to go to the airport and I'll just go on to work. So they got up the next morning and rode the bus in silence. And as they got off the bus and Larry's father worked at the textile factory across the street, there were some of his buddies watching him get off the bus. And these six guys that his dad worked with started, started to make some loud and degrading comments. They'd say, oink, oink, look at that fat pig. If that was my kid, I'd hide him in the basement. I'd be so embarrassed that anybody knew he was my kid. And the other one said, I wouldn't. If that slob was my kid, he'd be out the door so fast he wouldn't know if he was walking or riding a horse. Come on, pig, give us your best oink. And in that moment, Larry's father took him, and for the first time, he embraced him. And he kissed him on the lips. And he said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 200 years old, it will not be long enough to thank God for the gift of you in our life. I am so proud that you're my son. Well, Larry comes back to school and he begins to change. He begins to clean up a little, he washes his clothes combs his hair, he starts dating a girl. He joins a fraternity, and not does he only join, he becomes president of the fraternity. And he becomes the first student ever in the history of the university to get a 4.2 grade point average. And he keeps meeting with Brennan, and after six or eight weeks, he says, so, 
so this is the Jesus guy? And he goes, yep, this is the Jesus guy. And he says, okay, I'm in. And in 1974, he became an ordained priest, and he's been in South America for 20 years being a missionary on fire for Jesus. But do you know why? It started the day his father saw him. And he had the courage. He had the courage to give a blessing in the face of cursing and taunts. And he saw the good in Larry in that moment that Larry couldn't see in himself. And he affirmed him with a furious love. And he changed the whole direction of his son's life. That's the power of seeing someone the way that Jesus sees someone. I see this often in my office. Sometimes I think it's the only place that people come on a regular basis and actually get to be seen. I have the privilege of being a mirror to them. I see this every weekend that we do Women at the Cross. We have 22 women come in who are burdened and who believe lies about themselves and have lived lives about themselves feel the shame of their own choices. And over the course of the weekend, we just keep reflecting, this is not who you were meant to be. There's more to you than this. And they change, not because of us, but because of us allowing ourselves to be Jesus with skin on and reflecting back to them who they really are. So lodged in your heart, is the power to walk into somebody else's life and give them the courage to be. You do this by the touch of your affirmation, by offering maybe to make reconciliation with that person that you've written off a long time ago, and you allow Jesus to flow inside of you. This story ends with Jesus saying, today salvation has come. And he accepts and his affirmation begins to heal Zacchaeus. We don't know what happens after this. But Jesus ends with saying of himself, for this reason the Son of Man has come, to, say, to seek and save the lost. The lost in the New Testament, at least in this context, isn't meaning doomed or forever gone, it simply means being in the wrong spot. We're in the wrong place. And aren't we in the wrong place? Because of the fall, we're in the wrong place. God didn't design us for this. Jesus came to put us back in the right place. And we have the opportunity to do that with each other. That we can be put back into our rightful place and become all that God designed us to be. And so I believe that's what Jesus was doing on his last night. And he says, I've come to put you in your right place. This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And as you eat this, it will remind you of who you were designed to be. Not who you've become, not the lies that you've believed about yourself, but the true you. And as he took the wine, he said, this is my blood poured out for you, given for the forgiveness of your sins. And one of the things that I think the story of Zacchaeus tells us is that 
Whether or not we receive this, it's still true of us. And as a community of believers, I think if we begin to be marked by Jesus' love, as mirrors of his love, saying this is who you really are, it'll change the world. And I think that's who we're called to be. The dark cups are wine, the light cups are juice, they're both blood. And they're both here to remind you about who God called you to be. Um, If you're new today, we are out of our red welcome packets, so you have to come back and get one. But in the meantime, we have an email list and you can keep track of everything that's going on here by email, so please sign up for that. There's donuts and coffee in the back, so go grab and enjoy. And spend this week letting yourself be seen by Jesus, and then go out and look for people that you can look at. Have a good week.